Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the Night Mim Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And now you can watch us twice a week usually on Tuesdays and Fridays, but we're bringing this one to you on a Wednesday in the aftermath of Manchester United crashing out of the Champions League. Rob, you got home at about 2am last night after watching that, uh, can I say shit show? Because it was really, wasn't it? How how are you doing? Did Did you catch up on your sleep? Are you disappointed? How are you feeling after that? How am I feeling? Um... Have I caught up on my sleep? Not really, but it's one of those situations, isn't it, where you wake up the following day and you say to yourself, did that all happen? So do you know what, Scott? I haven't got a problem with losing. Losing's not the worst thing in the world in football. What I don't like is when you don't have the application and that losing means nothing. There's that kind of no step forward after this defeat, is there? So that's effectively the end of the campaign. And... I'm never a defeatist. Everyone always knows I'm kind of, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low. But I think when you look at the league table, you look at what this desperate bunch are doing at Manchester United, and I'm talking about the players, there's really no hope of top four now, is there? And in many ways, we talk about this rebuild and we will talk about that today a little bit. It might as well be from zero. Like, do we want to be in the Europa Conference League next year? I really do not want to be going to Old Trafford watching teams from Azerbaijan, who came eighth in their league to play Man United. It's really not what I want for my football club. So I'd rather we were we were nowhere and starting afresh rather than being in some kind of proxy tournament. This show is titled The Promised Land uh, in reference to uh, United winning the Champions League in 99. Clive Tilsley's famous line, Manchester United have reached the promised land. That's where I got the inspiration from. They're about as far away as I can ever remember them being from that point. They crashed out of the Champions League in the last 16. United have now won two Champions League knockout ties, uh, games even, not ties, games, uh, in the last 10-ish years or something like that, since since Alex Ferguson left, I think, anyway. And this is just normality now. Just just before we go back uh, in, or we go into the show, I should say, head over to our YouTube channel, hit the like button, subscribe and join the community. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio on Apple, Google, Spotify or whatever. And you can find us on Twitter too. Myself, at underscore Scott Saunders. Rob is at underscore Rob underscore B. And the show is at Promised Land MU. Uh, today we'll talk about the Atletico game. We'll talk about the mess that United are in what happens now? I mean, does anybody know? I mean, like you say, Rob, we need to start from the very beginning. Uh, so, <laughs> but where does it end? We, we've had pundits on TV saying Ralph's the Ralph's the big issue. I mean, honestly, really? It, it stems much deeper than that. And like, you're looking at Ralph Ranick, he's come in for a few months and tried to work with a squad that have been, you know, it's, it's just broken, completely broken. Uh, where do you want to start, Rob? Should we, let's get into the show. I mean, 
my my title of this section is the Atletico fallout. Uh, do you want to talk about Atletico falling over, or do you want to talk about <laughs> the fallout from losing the game? I mean, I, I was watching on. I, I understand Atletico. You know, it's it's a it's a kind of it's it's experience in a sense, isn't it? it? It does wind you up as a fan of the opposition team, but they did manage to frustrate the crowd, frustrate the players, and United fell into their trap. Absolutely, you know, I've covered La Liga for many years. I've covered Atletico. You know, was anyone surprised by what they did or how they played the game or what their game plan was? Absolutely not. I think uh, a few pundits called it being streetwise, but really, that's all Atletico had in their locker. You know, Atletico wanted to get the opening goal and defend. And why did that happen? Because Manchester United let it happen. They let it happen. So I don't think we saw a Diego Simeone masterclass. I just think they they rolled the dice and took their chances. It was an awful goal to concede at an awful time in the game. And then Manchester United showed once again that when they need to face adversity, need to be better, need to be more in front of their home crowd who were banging and singing for them in a, in a complete cauldron, they couldn't do it. And we've seen it all season long and seen it for the best part of 10 years. So I just think that kind of the, the you know, the way, the way the game went, you know, when, when Atletico players were rolling around on the floor and the referee was buying it, you know, the stadium was going crazy. And I was just stood there silent because I was just like, well, what, what is the point in getting upset that Atletico trying to win the game? That's what they're there for. Simeone ran off the pitch on the opposite side of us. And obviously, I, I completely disgraceful that he got bombarded with missiles and stuff. Yeah. It's unacceptable. And Manchester United should be punished for that. And I totally believe that. You know, it's not what we want to see in our stadium. But as he ran off, you could see the elation in Diego Simeone thinking, oh, my God, we robbed them today. We just came here and did a little bit of what we do. And we've won the game. And Manchester United's players... They just were stood prostrate in the in, in on the pitch, and we all just stood there shocked. They were there shocked, but we see it all the time, Scott. This is not new. These superstars of Manchester United continually disappoint. They are masters of failure. It happens all the time. So yes, there needs to be big changes. United fans want to talk about coaches non-stop. People blaming, you know, we said they're Paul Scholes blaming Ralph Ranick. You know, it's like it's like blaming a paper cut if your arm falls off, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it really is. It's just it's 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 too simplified to just always go, it's the coach or it's one player or it's this, that, or the other. Tactically, there was no problems last night. The issue was Man United players being able to pass a football or break through a line or run. You know, I lost count the amount of times I swore at Alex Tellez, who just didn't want to overlap, just didn't want to do it. Tried you it told, once you told me off air, Rob, in, in terms of counting, you actually did count something in the second <laughs> I, half. I did. I, I had my mad moment. And this is this is me. People think I'm quite moderate. And obviously, that's how I am on camera and when I write. But I stood there in the second half and counted out aloud like a crazy person every time Man United made a mistake. And I was up to eight after about two and a half minutes. And for me, that's just not acceptable. I don't want to see it. I want to see at least some form of decent football or some kind of bravery, or some bit of skill. And it just wasn't present on the night. There were there were flashes, but this is what this team does. It has a, a moment, doesn't it? You know, that's why I've called United Moments FC. It's what they are. They can, they can have a moment against Tottenham. Ronaldo gets a hat-trick and everyone's happy. But I came out of that game thinking, it wasn't a very good performance. To play like that against Atletico, you're out. 
That's what happened. So this this is all entirely predictable. And Manchester United's mistakes are entirely predictable. Talking of mistakes and something happening countless times, like I don't really want to spend too much time on the game itself because I think there was a lot of stuff in that game that we've seen over and over again. But the goal, I can't remember how many times in the last few years I have seen a team get in behind on the flank, cross it in for a goal or some kind of chance. And that's how it that's how the goal came about last night as well. Manchester United's fullbacks are disgusting. And I mean that <laughs> nicely. They are disgusting. They don't know their jobs. They don't look after their positions. And they make it up as they go along. Now, I think with Tellers and Delo, obviously a big swathe of support for them in the in the sense that Luke Shaw lost his form this year and Aaron Wambasaka has gone backwards. So I get it. You want these two in. But defensively, they are just completely wrongens. They haven't got a clue what to do. You look at that goal, and, and as it happened in real time, my my brain was ticking over, and I was thinking, right, Jao Felix gets in the channel on the right-hand side here, he clips it to the back post, and they score. And I was watching it, and that's exactly what happened. Because you look at them back, Harry Maguire, you know, I'm doing an impression here for those listening just on a podcast, running back in super slow motion like he does because that's his top speed. You see the Tellez kind of held the middle ground rather than kind of looking to where all the players. He does it all the time. It's a constant bugbear where he just goes, well, I'm in position, so don't worry about me, guys. And then Delo being confused at the back post, not knowing that someone's on the back of his shoulder and is going to head it in. And we've seen this goal at Old Trafford so many times. Clip it to the back post. Aaron Wambasaka gets caught under the ball. Clip yeah. it to the other back post. Harry Maguire gets caught under the ball. It's not a coincidence, Scott. It, it, it's there for, it happens for a reason. And it's because these guys just simply do not take the responsibility of their jobs. Speaking of that, uh, you know, the game's happened. Harry Maguire, being Manchester United captain, has to come out and say the line. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we have to get our head down and work hard. I, I don't know what he exactly said, but it was something along these lines. We know it's not good enough and all this. I'm sick of the talking. Personally, you know, you just see it over. And How many times can you put that line out? It's just depressing, isn't it? Um, Harry Maguire itself, do you want to do a little bit of a section on the 80 million Manchester United captain who was cheered off at Old Trafford last night when he was substituted? I don't think I've ever seen a player especially a captain at Manchester United, be cheered off in the way that he was cheered off. And it's not just the sense that he fills you with dread every time he's got the ball or you're worried every time that someone tries to run him in the channel. It's just that he's really bad. It's, it's everything, his whole is it game. If it's, is it a confidence thing or is this just him? I think some players are, you know, their whole form and everything they do operates on confidence. It really can be like, I always say, don't I, that the game is played up here and I'm touching my noggin here, my head, saying that the game is played here first. Pace comes from the brain. That's where it starts off before the body. And I think what you see with Maguire is that because he doesn't have the natural physicality pace to look after maybe situations that other defenders would do if they make a mistake, that he just looks so bad all the time. But I think it does come from confidence. So last year, his confidence was high. Manchester United were playing decent football, come second in the league, European final, England get to uh, the final of the Euros, yada, yada, yada. And Harry Maguire is a big part of that. His confidence was higher. This year, his confidence has just disappeared. 
Now, we can't really speculate why that is. We can only call what we're seeing. And you can see that whatever he does, he made a mistake yesterday where he got the ball and he was trying to feed in the fullback and he over he chipped it too far and it went out. And you could kind of see he turned around and he kind of went head on hand straight away, like stress, stress, stress. And the next five times he touched the ball, he didn't want it. Yeah. You could see it. He's getting the ball, go back to De Gea, here Varane, take it off me. Just completely didn't want to play the pass. That's your captain. It can't be like that. You know, so I just think with Harry Maguire that we've seen enough this year now to link whatever his confidence is and his lack of confidence to whether he gets it back or not, how long do we wait? Do you wait for it to come back? Marcus Rashford, exactly the same issue. Marcus Rashford's not a bad footballer, but his confidence has jettisoned off this planet. And you could see when he got the ball yesterday and came on, he didn't want it. He was like, I don't know what to do with this sphere at my feet here. What do I, you know, I'm just going to give it back to someone else. And that's Man United in a nutshell. There's so many of them who do that and don't take responsibility. But if it's your captain doing it, then you've got to address that. You can't have your captain do that going into next season, can you? So I think Man United need a new centre-back now. I think that's the only way to solve that. I thought Varane played okay last night. I think there were times where he tracked and did really good things with the ball, like got the first wave going in terms of getting the ball into the midfield. But Harry Maguire just cannot do it. And I don't feel that Victor Lindelof upgrades that massively. Or someone was saying to me in the crowd, Baye should be playing. No, he shouldn't. He can't make a pass either. So go and buy someone that can do the job that you need. As much as I have enjoyed watching Eric Baye for his, you know, yeah, he, he, he's different. He kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, he loses it at times, uh, does something crazy. It's kind of nice to see now and again, but then he'll also turn in an own goal against Man City at all. And he'll cost you there. games. And he'll, he'll cost, cost you games, games as well. Totally. Uh, and he is one of the players I, I could probably count. I'd probably need more than two hands to count the amount of players that I think would leave or should be leaving at the very least this summer. And Bailly is one of them. We'll see what happens with Harry Maguire. But before we move on to what happens now, uh, what did you make of, let's talk about the, the reaction a little bit. And I think Paul Scholes, I mean, I did a tweet about it after, after the game, but Paul Scholes putting the blame at Rannick's feet was just mind-blowing to me. Absolutely mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. That's I think I've described it off-air and in private. I think it's malpractice. I really do. I don't think you can look at Manchester United over a 10-year period and then blame the interim bloke who's been there a few months. Like, it's just, it, it's silly. You know, that's a, the polite word I will use on camera here. It's a silly kind of notion that this is all about Ralph Rangnick. Now, everyone knows that I do tactical shows. We, we look at the tactics. And there's no doubt that tactically, from when Ralph Rangnick came in after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that there's been an improvement in the shape and the form and the tactics. And when United have done the counter-press, they've done it well. The problem has been they can't do it for 90 minutes, either mentally or physically. So that's a problem. So you've seen that Ralph, I think, in the last three or four games, has gone back to kind of mid-block, which allows the players a little bit less running, a little bit less energy. But what you're taking away then is your potency, your, your, your chance to be able to get on the front foot and go quickly. Now, Man United's XG up until very recently was about two. So it was almost double what Ole's was. So it showed that United were creating chances. This is not about tactics or a manager. It's really not. This is about players. The players cannot do the job that they're supposed to do. If you want a modern football team, you must run. 
You must keep the ball. You must be cerebral on the football pitch. You've got to be professionals. This lot, I really do feel like it, Scott. It's like watching a pub team. They're erratic. The ball's in the air a lot. They can't pass five yards. They don't cover each other. They don't look after each other. They yap all the time like a pub match. Quite entitled, aren't they? They're totally, totally entitled. They are the epitome of entitlement. So this lot, they earn a lot of money. Yes, some of them have won trophies. Some of them haven't. But you can see the toxicity in the team in how they act. So I don't go big on body language all the time. I look more at team play. And you get players like maybe like Fred, who just goes and plays his game. And I thought Fred was okay last night. But then you look at the other players and how it links together. And you can see the lack of chemistry and the lack of care. You know, it's the senior players for me. The senior players are the ones who've got to be in the dressing room. We've got to go, you, you, you and you. You're not playing well, but you're coming with us today. We're going to go win this football match. Doesn't matter if you're playing well. We're going to take you over the line. May United senior players are abysmal. Absolutely. The uh, the constant moaning and complaining about refereeing decisions, it just really gets on my nerves. I mean, the anti- the goal, going back to the game, they, they were... The players were complaining about the fact that, and Ralph actually complained as well, that the foul wasn't given on Alanga. I didn't actually think it was a foul, but the ball came from the very corner in the Atletico Madrid end up to in Man United's net. So they had plenty of opportunity to stop that happening. And, uh, you know, it just really encapsulates the mess that United are in. So I'll ask you, Rob, what, what happens now? Because <laughs> the season, it was March the 15th when this match happened. We're in the aftermath of it now. United, while top four is not impossible, I think Arsenal have some difficult games to play. They're in a much better sh- Even if Arsenal fail, what makes you think that United can capitalise on it? Like, you just have no confidence yeah. in this team at all. So I would effectively say that the season is over. And I think I've seen a lot of fans saying that too. So what happens now on the bright side? Do United have two extra months to decide what the hell they're going to do? Can you, can you imagine this, right, in the, the boardroom, that because your team has failed so spectacularly that you now get an extra couple of months holiday to decide who your next manager is or what your project is. So it's kind of just crazy talk, isn't it, with this football club about how it operates. A lack of a plan, a lack of direction that comes from the very, very top. Um, if you and me didn't work in football media, Scott, and we weren't Man United fans, you know, I, I think now we'd be taking a holiday for a couple of months till the end of the season because whatever Man United do, it feels like there'll be shortcomings still, won't it? So you'll get one good performance. United might even go and beat Liverpool, yeah? They'll beat Liverpool and that will be the trophy for the season, the, the invisible trophy of beating Liverpool, stopping them winning the league. Hooray. That's horrible, isn't it? That's where the football clubs come. Yet yeah, you might go and play Everton at some point and lose to them because Everton are trying to stay up. And you might not be asked that day. You might just be like, oh, we're not coming out today. You know, oh, we lost 1-0. Oh, terrible. Well, we got a bad refereeing decision. So I think this is the whole thing for Man United and Man United fans is that how do you stay optimistic? How do you look forward? The good thing about football is there is always next season. There is always the next game. There is always something to look forward to. I think the problem for Man United and Man United fans is that what will that look like? What's coming next? And I think the smokescreen of Cristiano Ronaldo coming to the football club, kind of acted like some kind of medication for Man United fans to think that things were better than they were. It didn't work. It hasn't worked. You need to now trigger significant change. I said before, Scott, I've said it on Twitter as well today, I think United need six signings 
I don't think you can do that in one window. I think you'll need two or three because you need to recruit attentively. You need to go and look at the market and find the right players. But I think United need two fullbacks in this squad. I think you need a brand new centre-back. I think you need two box-to-box midfielders, not a defensive midfielder, two box-to-box. And you need a proper forward that can play through the middle and wide. So you need those six players to rebuild the core of this football team because those six positions are huge issues and they're more than half the team. And that is a really, really bad place to be. I don't know how we've got here, but I know for sure that it's come through poor recruitment. Absolutely. I mean, as talking about which players they need to bring in is absolutely fine, but is it not as important to get players out? I mean, I mentioned earlier that I could see at least 10 moving on. I can name a couple now. Dean Henderson, surely. Uh, Phil Jones, if they can. Uh, Eric Bailly, if they can. Paul Pogba's out of contract. Uh, Nemanja Matic is long past his sell-by date. Jesse Lingard's out of contract. Juan Mata's out of contract. Edison Cavani's out of contract. Hmm. Ronaldo's going to want to play at a higher level than United are going to be able to meet next season is he is he is he good enough anymore i don't know you know like, he's going to think he is he might want <laughs> to be least. but i don't think anyone's going to look at his body of work in the last 12 months and feel that they can take him but i think what you're saying there is you know recycling is normal in squads so like when contracts run out or you need new players that recycling can be triggered through through clearing your wage bill and finding the right place the issue here scott without a shadow of the doubt is how and who you recruit so if you're going to spend fifty million pound on the next Aaron Wambasaka, that fifty-two million pound on the next Fred, eighty million pound on the next Harry Maguire, you can bet for sure you are going nowhere. That's the bottom dollar. Man United fans get upset with the Glazers and talk about money not being spent. And I do understand that the Glazers themselves haven't put the cash in. They've taken a lot of cash out of the football club, but they have sanctioned these signings through the coffers of Manchester United. £1.2 billion is more than what Man City have spent in the same period. So let's not pretend that this is about money. This is always, always about recruitment and players. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I tweeted last night in... Well, I was tweeting quite a bit last night, actually. And I think that I counted at the end of the game that United went out of the Champions League with players that have been signed by five different managers, including yeah. Alex Ferguson. That's a problem, isn't it? Ferguson, Moyes, uh, Van Gaal, Mourinho, Solskjaer. Mm. And they are trying to play in the style of a, a sixth manager. Uh, who and They're just not suited for it. So it's no. just, this has been, and I've said this a number of times this season, because United played badly a lot. And you could probably count, I'm talking about my hands and fingers all the time, but you can probably count on one hand, maybe two, the amount of times that United have actually played well this season. Probably one hand, to be honest, if that. I've kind so, of forgotten. I, I, I feel like my mind has been wiped this season because I, I they have played well at times. I can't really think of when I've come away from Old Trafford and gone, that was what I wanted to see. 90 yeah. minutes of pure brilliance, 90 minutes of hard work. It's always in little sections, isn't it? It's kind of like... They're more, more other than being a full meal, they're like a pot noodle, aren't they? That's what they are. They're kind of like they're little, little tasters, hollow, not real food, not real kind of nourishment. And then you come away and you think, well, maybe they'll do it next game, and they never do. So, 
it's it's a sorry it's a sorry state of affairs, but it, they they're, they're there because they deserve to be. They really do. This set of players, uh, they are the architects of their own doom. And and if they're not here next season, like I, I, you just saying there about who to say, I think you keep Varane. I think you keep Sancho. And then pretty much everyone else is... Everyone. Is, is Every, everybody else. Everyone yeah. else. Everyone else you could look at and say, well, I don't really want to pursue that. So like, I, I talk, talk about the fullbacks a lot. And again, in my tactical work, I will say that fullback in the modern game is the most important position because it's a position that helps you defensively and offensively. You do the two things. It works in tandem. And you look at these two that played yesterday and they are not top six, top eight standard in the Premier League. They're really not. They would not get in Wolves' team. They wouldn't. So, you know, Wolves go and get someone like Samedo from Barcelona. Yeah, he's a good fullback. Man United have got two guys that just are not worthy. So fullback is something that United need to address. You've got Ethan Laird as a young lad who could come back in and you start that process of him being a first-teamer and you can do that next year. But it's so vital. You're leaving this huge chunk out of goals and assists from fullback because you've just got poor players and you chose them. So every position has got that problem, hasn't it? When we look, go through it, you go, but would they really get in a top team? Varane, yes. Sancho, yes. The rest, absolutely not. And I include the guy with 805 million goals up top. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not about Ronaldo, but it's about the team around him and how it works together. I was really worried when I saw Bruno and Cristiano start together because we said in the last show, didn't we, how Ronaldo is better without Bruno and Bruno is better without Ronaldo. And when they're together, it, it, they're like strangers. They haven't got a clue. And it was again, it was evident to see, wasn't it, for the 68 minutes that Bruno Fernandes was on the football pitch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've said this, as I, as, as I was saying just now, I've said this a few times this season because United have been battered uh, quite often. They weren't, it didn't quite go that way last night, but United were poor. And they deserved over the two legs to be eliminated because Atletico were the better team. United have gone out of the Champions League with an 11 players signed by five different managers and that in itself is a summary of the failure of the last nine years. So as much as we want to point at each manager who's been overseeing this, who's been saying that we're going to sign this profile of player, this profile of player, this profile of player, a complete reset from the very, very bottom or very top, whichever way you want to look at it, is absolutely necessary. And it's going to take a long time to get even back to the level of challenging for a title because Liverpool and City are on a different planet. Well, as the song goes, you rip it up and start again. That's exactly what Man United need to do now. And and that is on the Glazers. You know, the Glazers authorise these transfers. They're the guys that chase the coaches. They're the ones that set the tone. And the failure starts with them. So like you were just saying, they starts from the top, down, bottom, up. Both of those things are, are valid. But the board need to identify, not a coach, they need to identify a philosophy. And then you identify a coach. Manchester City got their philosophy in order and then got Guardiola. FSG at Liverpool identified what they did with the Boston Red Sox and wanted to apply it in philosophy terms to Liverpool and then got Jurgen Klopp. They've had success. They've had all the success in English football. Manchester United have a set of executives that know nothing about football, football and they choose names that pop out the Twitter hat. So this is the problem. So we saw last night, Eric Ten Hag's Ajax fail against an average Benfica team. 
now people don't want him, you know, off one game. It, it's crazy, isn't it? And this is the problem, is that Man United's board do operate through this kind of choice of populism. That's how they, they do it. It's kind of like, this guy is the flavour of the month. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe go and get him this week. This player is the flavour of the month. This is, you know, we're interested in him now. And you never see anything that looks like deep roots. Do you know what I mean? Nothing looks deep-rooted. It's constantly fluff and bubbles. So I just think with Man United, you know, how do you change the board? You can't change the board. It's just, it's not going to happen. You can't change the Glazers, but the Glazers have to have some kind of epiphany about how they run their business. You talk about philosophy there, Rob. Uh, I think obviously that's the case. Do you think, obviously Ralph uh, was brought in to be interim manager and it's been talked up that he will move into a consultancy role. We're not entirely sure how involved he'll be, uh, but you'd like to think that, you know, he's seen enough of these players now to understand what the problem is. Will they end up trusting him and moving forward with that or with him? And like his philosophy, how, how do you see this going forward now? Because do you think that they will trust Ralph's philosophy and maybe try and build towards something that he thinks is the right way to do things? Or will they go in a different direction? I don't think the football club at all will truly believe maybe the fan narrative or the media narrative at the moment that this is Ralph Randick's fault. You know, he was brought to the football club to do this kind of root and branch assessment while looking after the team and trying to get top four and trying to win a trophy. Now, that hasn't happened. That that in itself is a failure. But I think you can only go so far with Ralph Randick and being the blame. And I think the board understand that. You know, even though we, we say they've got no football acumen, they're not idiots. You know, they're top business people. They know how systems work. It's that, this is why I think they need to be accountable. So I think that Ralph Ranick will stay obviously on as a consultant. We know this. It's a two-year appointment. But it's what does that mean? So my fear is that two years consultant means that you're on the conference call every Monday morning and you don't say a lot and you get paid your wage and you might say that Aaron Wamasaka isn't a very good footballer. And that is it. That's your consultancy done. I take my money and I go and live in Germany or wherever. And I go and work with another football club. One thing we do know is that his contract Manchester United will not stop him from working with other football clubs. I think that's a worry. I think people need to be committed to the team that they're with. So that's one thing. I think the other side of the coin is, is that if you bring in a new manager, it's what that manager needs. So what is the structure around him? Guardiola went to Man City for one reason, one reason only. He didn't go to Man City because he loves the Blues. He didn't go there because he's always wanted to live in Manchester or be in the Premier League. He went there because it's stuffed full of Barcelona people. Yeah, so they set it all up first. So if you want Eric Ten Hag or you want Pochettino or you want a top coach, you better set it up for them to at least have a good go at trying to change this team around. And that concerns me because Manchester United are about selling shirts, Man United, Disney World, and maybe winning a few football matches. And I think that's hard for any coach to come into. I don't think any of the coaches we've talked about at the moment makes this set of players a bunch of winners. It needs to be kind of ripped up. You need to come from the top. Richard Arnold, this is your big chance, mate. This is it now. No, Ed. Ed's gone. This is your, your ship now. Direct it. Steer it. Tell people what you think needs to be done. Now, he said that he wants football people to make these decisions. Do I believe that at the moment? No. But I hope that he proves me wrong and many other people wrong because it's the way to do it. Do you think that... I think I might have asked you this question on a previous show, but 
he said that football they need football people to make football decisions and it's not been football people football people making football decisions over the last nine years or whatever however long it's been united are, if they don't get this right now you got newcastle you got arsenal you got city liverpool chelsea probably other teams like we talked about aston villa i think like they're gonna be if, if there's only four champions league places and champions league money is like in imperative to how you move forward and this kind of thing and keeping your reputation intact they have to get it right now otherwise they're going to be mid-table sure well, they're, they're potentially the next ac milan so this is what ac milan did exactly the same champions of europe champions of the known universe best team in italy fall off the scale because the ownership goes the wrong way and you end up 10th and then fans go Oh my God, 10th is like a long way from fourth, isn't it? So I just think with Man United, you are in that kind of no man's land of, of potentially falling off the edge of the world and kind of saying, well, you might be Man United by name and that badge might be your New York Yankees sales pitch to sell to the world and put it on a, on a baseball cap and stuff like that. But you're not going to win football matches and you're not going to be valid. And every year your season's going to be over in November. So this is, I think, the fear now at, at Old Trafford and the fear for the fans is that it can get worse. So how do you do this? I, I think the whole point is that if you're going to rebuild and you're going to lose football matches, at least lose football matches while teaching a young set of hungry players. And I just said, I tweeted earlier on today, I would rather see a bunch of 18, 19 and 20 year olds and a team full of under 24 year olds fail and learn and lose and kind of feel that their way around the job than watch a bunch of 37 year olds earning 25 million pound a year and losing. So that's where I think the club now needs to be a little bit more Arsenal. And I know Man United fans will hate that term, but it's the truth. You need to take the medicine. You need to make your team from the bottom up. You need to allow your youth to prosper. Of course, Arsenal had finished eighth for two seasons in a row and they actually had you know they, they they've been fallen they've fallen off since 2004 and that's, that's nearly 20 years now yeah it's a long uh, way and they they slowly 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 fell to this team that you know came eighth twice in a row and also when relegation see... zone at the start of the season weren't yeah. they at the start of the season it's not that long ago start of the season people were looking at them and going oh they're going down and arteta and that arsenal board kept faith and a lot of the arsenal fans didn't want to keep faith a lot of them wanted arteta gone there was a lot of chat and it did feel like at one stage he was gone, but they did the right thing. You have to stick with it. And now we've looked at the Ranić project. Sorry to kind of jump in here, Scott. No, we looked it. at the, what Ranić's done, and I wanted Ranić in. But the way Man United are shaped and the way that the squad is shaped, what was the point in sacking Ole and Solskjaer? You might as well have kept him until the end of the season and then sacked him because it's not helped anything. These players are not gone, oh, we've got tactics now. We're going to win stuff. They've just gone, well, we'll clock off till next summer and then you'll give us a new boss and I'm on £250,000 a week, so who cares? So this is the problem at Man United. You're absolutely right. <laughs> it's just, uh, oh, where do we go from here, honestly? It's it's quite incredible how United have managed themselves into this situation. Let, let's talk a little bit about, I know, ultimately, I mean, even Ten Hag and Pochettino, who were the two front runners for this role, ultimately both of them have been locked out at the same stage as United uh, in the Champions League in the last week or so. I mean, which way is the right way to turn? And ultimately, they, they do need to address things higher up than either of those managers coming in. Uh, but do you have a preference on 
or do you think there's a better fit for them moving forward at the moment? Out of those two? Or anyone else even? Thomas Tuchel's been talked about this week, for example. I, I think, you know, again, if this was fantasy football and you could just choose your manager, then I would feel obliged to go and get Tuchel from Chelsea. I would go and exploit that situation and sell Manchester United to him as his future and give him the contract that he deserves and make him probably the highest paid manager in the world to go and get him. Because I think he's the best in class on the market at the moment, but he's not truly on the market. You'd have to go and do a bit of a smash and a grab there. But Chelsea are vulnerable 100%. For the rest people, of them... Rob, people sorry. talk about best in class, by the way. Uh, mm. Paul, you know, Gary Neville's used it. Paul Scholes has used it. The best in class are in Liverpool and across the city. That's the best in class. Completely. You're never getting them. And you cannot take their DNA and replicate it. What you can do is is analyse why their football clubs are successful. You can go and look at the structure and see what they did. And there is nothing wrong with a bit of plagiarism when you're trying to set up that. You know, you're trying to to be successful like them. Well, maybe at least match them, you know, pound for pound. And then you might get closer. What Man United have done is they've tried to do it, in inverted commas, the United way. And it's not real. It's a mythical thing. It's not a true... It's a sales pitch, the United way. It's not real. It's like, you know, the Fergie way was not the Busby way. It really wasn't. You know, so you need to do it the way that the top clubs are doing it today. And I think this is kind of where what it all boils down to with Man United, about how do you find the correct set of circumstances? And it has to come from the top. So, you know, all these coaches we're talking about, Ten Hag, Pochettino, you could even chuck Zidane in there, Luis Enrique. There's so many what you would call good coaches out there, coaches that would help Man United, but only if the conditions were correct, first of all. Like you said, best in class, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. But, but you know, at least Tuchel showed that you can go to a Champions League final and you can beat Pep Guardiola. Hmm. And ironically, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that no one rated, beat Pep Guardiola four times. So it, you can beat these teams, but you've got to have the structure in place first. Speaking of structures, that's actually a, a nice segue into another section I wanted to, well, we wanted to discuss today, uh, which is removed from football and all of the dross surrounding United and their squad and their management and this kind of stuff. But you were at Old Trafford on Wednesday night. Uh, you've been a regular visitor to Old Trafford for years and years. Uh, I've frequented it plenty of times as well. Uh, but it's obvious to match-going fans that maybe Old Trafford isn't fit for purpose. And this week, suggestions have been released that they're looking at redevelopment plans of certain stands, maybe expanding, well, better in the facilities, expanding the stadium and this kind of thing. But also the prospect of bulldozing Old Trafford and completely remaking it into a modern new stadium uh, is an option and a possibility. So Rob, uh, you know, obviously I think we'll have a lot of uh, listeners who perhaps don't get to Old Trafford that often. Could you just give us a little bit of insight into what Old Trafford is like? And you did a a thread on Twitter earlier this week about this and you're pro bulldozing, right? Yes, 100% and have been for a very, very, very long time. But we've never really been in a position or situation where that was on the table. The Glazers certainly were not talking about that. Around six months ago was the first kind of 
point from the football club where I heard that it was a possibility. There were some preliminary discussions between uh, prominent fan groups and the board and really kind of a vision for the football club. And that is a, con a continuing process. But we're now, I think, at a place where the ownership realise what Old Trafford is. So Old Trafford is a cathedral of football. It's beautiful. When you're in there and you're sat in your seat, it's fantastic. As long as you don't get out of your seat. If you sit in your seat and you look at it and you look round and on a big night like last night in the Champions League, the, the atmosphere is banging. It's even Everyone's... a bit cramped though when you sat down, right? It's a bit cramped, but I'm, I'm not worried about being a little bit cramped. I'm really not. But I am worried when the stairways are two and a half foot long mm. and you've got 70,000 people going up and down them. So that doesn't make sense. That's not, that's not, first of all, it's not safe, but it's just, it's old school, but it's just old. It's not, there's no, not old school about it. It's just too old, isn't it? It's an old way of doing stuff. So when you go to Old Trafford and the match day experience is really exciting for Man United fans, obviously there's a lot of football tourists that come to Manchester United all the time. It's a, it's a kind of rinse and repeat cycle for, for our football club. That's expected. There's no problem with that. But what people are being offered is something that is very 1995. And that is, you know, if you want a Man United pie and a bottle of fizzy pop and a packet of crisp, then you can get that at Old Trafford. If you want to go to the toilet, you've got to queue up because there's not enough toilets. The gangways as you walk down them are, are too narrow because they're very old school. It, you can't do all these things and be a modern progressive football club. You cannot make those kind of... You don't get beers that fill from the bottom, do you? <laughs> well, you certainly do not. But so I, I, I'm not a beer drinker. I don't really consume a lot of what I would call products at Old Trafford. But I do understand that when I go to other stadiums for work and travel around the world and look and go in there, that there's a big gap between the teams that do it properly and well and Manchester United. Now, Man United claim to be the biggest club in the world you cannot claim to be the biggest club in the world if you've got a stadium that isn't fit for purpose. Man United and Liverpool are two stadiums that haven't had a, a screen. And people said to me the other day, but why do you need a screen, Rob? You know, why do you need a screen? It's like, well, every club in the Premier League has got one because we now have VAR. You need to be able to see the replay to understand what's going on. And we've talked about this communication between uh, officials, VAR and, and people in the stands. Oh, Trafford, there's no point, no chance. So you have to have a stadium that has all of these things on site to be able to work fluidly. And Man United just simply do not have it. You've got a, an old school um, museum downstairs. You've got a lot of space around Old Trafford, a ton of burger vans with absolutely vile, disgusting burgers. They're horrible. It's a horrible food situation at Old Trafford. You get nothing that you want. The coffee is literally the worst coffee on the planet. If you ever have it, it's water that it's tastes awful. just hot. And that's what it is. So I'm not saying about all of this because of coffee and, and hamburgers. I'm talking about what you need to be a modern club. If Tottenham Hotspur have got the best stadium in the world and Man United can't get anywhere close to that, we have a problem. Because in years to come, Tottenham will be able to rely on that income from that top stadium. And they will slowly but surely start to go past Man United. And Man United are going to get stuck with Fergie in the 90s with a stadium that is no longer fit for purpose. So realistically, in, regarding, in regards to the stadium, what can we expect to happen here? Could you just run through what the options are and what's realistic? 
Well, yeah, I don't know if we've got a slide, obviously, uh, to be able to use to show, um, but here it is. And we can see that this obviously was published by The Telegraph the other day in terms of a mock-up of what, what could happen. Now, we know with Spurs, again, that they played at White Hart Lane while they developed their new site next door. It was literally a stone's throw away. Um, Manchester United are one of the few clubs that own a kind of in, incredible amount of land around their stadium that they simply don't utilise or don't use now, but they could do in a building project. So a new stadium would cost somewhere between 600 million to even a billion pounds, depending on what you were building and how many seats. And then you could redevelop the current Old Trafford. So you could keep it. So on this slide here that we've got, you can see the footprint of what would be a second smaller stadium that could be used for Man United's other teams, both reserves, the women's team, the youth teams, all of those teams that need a home that isn't particularly Old Trafford because you, you don't really want to be using a stadium with you know capacity of eighty to 90,000 with no fans in it. It kind of doesn't make sense. But I think there's also other sides of this where, where Tottenham have looked towards the NFL side of this and been able to take their pitch in and out of their stadium to be able to... Uh, exploit all of these opportunities to make money for their football club. Now, Man United currently do not have that. The Northwest doesn't really have that. You could be the first team and the first organisation to really install that in the Northwest. And it's possible. You just have to go and spend the money to do it. Now, of course, Man United fans, a lot of United fans this week, you know, you, you referenced that tweet that I put out and I, I did a thread on it. So if you want to read that, obviously go and jump on my Twitter account and you can read what I said. But there's a lot of United fans that, that that want progress, but don't want the pain of progress. You know, they want to stay at the old, old Trafford forever because that's where they saw 13 Premier League titles. You know, I, I saw 13 Premier League titles there. But I do realise that that the stadium is is finished. It's finished, you know, and this is why. But you look at um, Real Madrid, they're doing it to the Bernabeu. You look at the Milan clubs, they're doing it. I once drove to the Bernabeu many, many years ago, right? And I thought, you drive there, it will be an amazing experience, there'll be things going on and all that. And I drove there, and this was in the 90s, there was nothing there. It was just a stadium, concrete, in the middle of literally no man's land and not one fan there. And I was like, this is odd. This is what Man United are going to become. Man United are going to be that relic football club where people went, they used to be great, but they haven't got the modern day facilities to be great now. We can talk about a team till we're blue in the face, but you also need the stadium now to be able to show that you compete with the very, very biggest clubs on the planet. So we are literally talking from the top down and the bottom up, Rob, on and off the pitch. So to be honest, it is time for a full reset. Absolutely. Yeah. You can either look at it as a disaster or you can look at it as an opportunity. So I think with the stadium, it's a huge opportunity. You could blast yourself into the future and get that stadium that keeps you relevant. It's certainly not worthy of any Manchester United incarnation. Yeah, it's not worthy of the current Old Trafford. But if you want a future-looking team, a team that can go and win trophies in the future, you start building it today. And it starts with that first brick of the redevelopment of Old Trafford. We'll see in the next few weeks, I would imagine, about any further developments on the stadium or the plans or the manager or which players are coming in or which players are going out. Uh, there's certainly a lot of decisions to be made, both on and off the pitch by a lot of people. Um, but whatever happens, United are in an absolute mess at the moment. And Rob, uh, I'll wrap up 
at some point shortly. But is there anything else you'd like to touch on today? I mean, we'll we'll be back at some point this week, I would imagine. And I'm sure there's probably a time where we could go through the, the entire squad and do a stay or go or something like that. But is it redundant? Because we've just said that Varane and Sancho are the only two players we'd end up keeping <laughs> and everybody else... You know, none of them have shown that they're up to the task. Uh, you know, Jaden Sancho has been a flickering bright spark of, over the last few weeks, whereas everything else has been relatively awful. Uh, but yeah, handing it back to you. Is there any anywhere else you'd like to take this conversation? You've got to keep it simple. So go and get a centre-back that can run. First thing, <laughs> yeah? Go and get full-backs that will overlap and get assists too. Go and get midfielders who take responsibility and can pass a football five yards and then go and get strikers who will run until they're absolutely fall over like a Carlos Tevez used to do for Man United. Yeah. Show that passion and put the ball in the back of the net. These are all very simple bits of what football really is. And if you don't do them or you don't do them very well, you're going to fall behind massively. And you're going to look at other teams that do it well and you go, why are they doing it? And we can't. We just simply do not have the personnel. So this is where we say in the transfer market. Now, the next summer transfer market is huge for Man United because they're going to have to make hard decisions. And they're going to have to do what Arsenal did with Aubameyang, is that they're going to have to take their top earners and they're going to have to say, two fingers up to you guys. You're out of our football club. We'll pay you off and you can go and do it somewhere else and you might prove us wrong, but we're doing it our way now. And you have to stop thinking about the shirt-selling over-the-top mindset that Manchester United have had for so long. I would don't expect the Glazers to stop thinking about shirt sales and commerce and stuff. That's what floats their boat. You've now got a shirt deal coming up very soon with Adidas, depending on whether they, they reactivate that or whether they go with someone else. That will be a huge pot of money coming in to the football club. But it's about whether Man United have true ambition in, in the transfer market. They've spent $1.2 Spend it better. Find better ways of getting better footballers into your football team. Spent 1.2 million awfully over the last 10 years. And billion, every... billion, billion, oh, sorry, billion. Sorry, billion. Did I say million? Oh, yeah. I, I am they spent 1.2 million just on Ronaldo a week. Yeah. Well, pretty much. So th- th- this is the thing. It's like when you look at the wage bill, it is frightening because they literally spend money on stuff that doesn't help you win. All the time, week after week after week. So that is a problem to me. I don't think any business in the world would operate where you pay, pay staff that don't help you do what your objective is, which is to win win trophies. So there's so many players at Man United like that where you look at their wage, wages and you think, I don't think they would get that at any other football club in the world. Why do well, they that's get why, That's why they United? can't sell players. Exactly. So what you know, you, you sit there, don't you? And you think, well, I'm already at Man United. I've got X amount of social media followers. Why do I need to leave this football club? Well, it's about ambitions, isn't it? And I do think the players that leave, and we might see this now, like I think obviously the Paul Pogba thing is going to be a huge story in the next few weeks. But wherever Paul Pogba goes, Paul Pogba's not going for money. Paul Pogba wants to win. Wants and that's win. probably yeah. that's why he's not going to probably stay now at Man United. He said, I want to stay, pay me. Man United said no. So all of these bits are so fragmented that you kind of I don't blame players that want to go somewhere else now to win because this Man United team certainly isn't ready to win. Certainly. Uh, just a reminder, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes. You can watch us now twice a week usually on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. So head over to our channel, hit the like button, subscribe 
and join the community. The link is in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. And you can follow us on Twitter too. Myself, at underscore Scott Saunders. Rob, at underscore Rob, underscore B. And the show at Promised Land MU. Uh, Rob, you know, I don't play again now until I think it's like April 2nd. And that means we have about three <laughs> weeks of bliss, in a sense. Is, is it bliss? Is it is it a nice thing? Do, do you know what? Man United are death by a thousand cuts. So if you can get away from that mindset for a little bit, it's good. And I, I've said this before. When Man United don't play and there's an international break, I've said to United fans, chill. You know, let it let it happen because it, it will start again like in a couple of weeks. You don't need to be constantly maybe overthinking the problem with Man United. But I think it's a good thing. I think it's good that they're not playing for a couple of weeks because it, it, th- this cycle just continues. And we're not really talking just about the Ralph Ran- Ranick era, are we? We're talking about the post Sir Alex Ferguson era that we're seeing the same things over and over again. So yes, lots of chat about the new coach, whoever that might be. We'll be doing a lot of that content here on our show. Lots of chat about new players and hopefully we'll be getting some of the right ones in. Still loads to talk about, but at the same time, take your rest when you can. Nine games left of this season to be stretched out over about two months or whatever. It's going to be a long... Oh, is it painful or are we just numb to it? It's, the, the next two months are going to be weird. I have to go to Old Trafford because I'm a journalist, but I go because I'm a supporter. That's why I go. And last night when I was sat on the coach, which brings me back to my home here, I honestly was sat there thinking if I was not a football journalist, I am not sure I would be coming back this season. Because these players are perennial disappointments. There's nothing about them that I like. And I think it's been said before that that when you kind of have a connection with the team, that you feel even in the bad times, you still feel connected because they're part of you and you're part of them. But that feels, it feels completely, completely divorced, doesn't it? Is that there's this bunch of millionaires running around on the football pitch who are not going to be at Man United in the future. And we sit there and watch it. And as I said, death by a thousand paper cuts. That's how it is. And that's how I feel. If I wasn't a football journalist and this wasn't my daily job, I think I might be taking a little bit of a break. So we're not advising that for our audience. Stick with us and we'll try and entertain you and give you some stuff to listen to and feel good about. But that's how Man United are. And that's, I think, what the Glazers need to learn. That If they want their fan base to stay engaged, they need to do a lot more for this football team. Yes, indeed. Rob, thank you very much for today. Uh, You know, I'm sure there'll be more, well, more painful moments along the way, but United have hit a bottom. Uh, not sure whether it's the lowest moment since Sir Alex Ferguson left. I think it's, it's right up there, if it's not the very top of the list. But anyway, uh, get in touch with us. Just a reminder, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised MU on social. Get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, if you would like to. And we will catch you soon for more glum Manchester United chat. Thanks very much. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 